0: Have you ever gotten an extraordinary call? Like, you can interpret that how you must, um, depending on what your ordinary is, right? Maybe it was a literal call on the phone that changed your whole world as you knew it. Maybe that call was not so good and informed you of the death of a loved one or a diagnosis that you couldn't not now know or act on. Maybe it was a call to the principal's office, right? Maybe it was a call to the police department. Maybe it was someone that was calling you to let you know that you had been let go from a job or rejected from a school that you really wanted. But maybe that call was a good call. Maybe it changed your life in the other direction, right? Maybe you got in to that school. Maybe she loves you. Right? Maybe at long last, you're going to be a mom. Maybe the sellers have accepted your offer. The tests are negative, which of course means that they're positive, right? Um, maybe your disability check came in. These calls are extraordinary. They take you out of your current ordinary and create a new ordinary, a new reality. I think there's also a different sort of extraordinary call, a call that relates to our purpose. For many of us, this sort of calling, especially if it relates to doing good things for God, has given us a lot of motivation and inspiration. A lot of us got these calls when we were young. They were calls to live risky lives for Jesus. We picture our grown-up selves always being this fired up this exposed, where we feel called to be ministers or missionaries or activists or influencers for the kingdom of God. These calls are so extraordinary, beyond ordinary. We assume that we'll always feel, or at least we should always feel like a little bit of a high from trying to keep up with the Lord's work in the world. And then we maybe feel a little guilty or tired or disillusioned when we get there or we're in this calling or maybe we're not in that calling and we feel like the life we live now is a little too normal or a little too basic or a little too safe. We, we kind of get that internal guilt that the, the teen or 20s me would be really disappointed with the like suburban dad, 30s and 40s me, right? That living into the kingdom into this kingdom calling hasn't been extraordinary enough. Maybe during this epiphany season, it's helpful to trace Jesus' own embrace of his own calling. In his words, calling the earliest disciples to something truly extraordinary. All of this starts in those baptismal waters we talked about a couple weeks ago in the Jordan River. That was the place where Jesus heard God's voice. And and that was the place where Jesus becomes the resting place of God's spirit. The spirit. The voice comes out of the clouds and the spirit of God rests upon Jesus. That was the powerful voice. Remember the psalm we read that Sunday? It was a voice that could, could peel the bark off trees and instead, it calls Jesus beloved and voices divine pleasure. This is where it all starts. This is where any calling by God makes any sense at all. If you're in crisis with God, some of us are. <laughs> we don't know where we stand with God or what we think about God or what we, where we stand with our callings by God or what we think about those callings by God. Go back to to here. Go back to this moment. Go back to God's words of intimacy and care. You will never get behind these words, and you will never go beyond them. You and I, friends, in Christ, are God's beloved children in whom he is well pleased. This is good news. Amen? Amen. Right. But then Jesus' life tells us also kind of the bad news inside of that good news. Lowercase bad, uppercase good, right, is that temptation will follow. And, and temptation, many of us have automatic um, triggers of, of what they think when they hear the word temptation. But in here, I mean circumstances and alternative voices that'll test this voice. It's a test that'll make you think twice about what you've heard. You're my daughter, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased, you're my son. Whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. They'll make you think twice about that voice you heard. And if it happened to Jesus, none of us are immune to this. But Jesus resisted. Jesus didn't give into these temptations. And there were threefold temptations. And Henry Nouwen said that these temptations boiled down to whether Jesus was going to be relevant, whether he was going to be spectacular or whether he was going to be powerful. Go back and read those temptations. And, and some of them are actually good things. Turn, turn this rock into a loaf of bread, save yourself, right? Feed the world, right? And Jesus, one by one, knocked them down with the word of God. We can hold up under these very same temptations to be relevant, spectacular, or powerful because Jesus held up to these temptations because we have these the same identity that Jesus has as beloved children of God. So then this leads us to our passage today. Jesus comes back after his time away in the wilderness. And remember, the wilderness is not automatically a bad place, but it is where Israel wanders, and it is where Israel is tempted, and Israel does not have nearly the same track record as Jesus holding up under these temptations. And he comes back and he finds out his forerunner cousin John, the baptizer, has been arrested. Seems the stakes are immediately higher now than when, they, when Jesus left to go into the desert 40 days ago. Whoever at that point Jesus thought he was, what he knew was that John was preaching the simple prophetic message. Humanity needed to turn around, repent, Change your heart and mind. Believe, trust, pledge allegiance to the good news of the kingdom of God. That all the other kingdoms are going down and God's kingdom is breaking in and Jesus takes up this chorus because John can't. It still needed to be said and John was the main one saying it in the streets and now Jesus had to say it. And I think there are a few elements to Jesus' call that are interesting and important for us. First off, this call is an all call, but it's also an each call. It's an all call and it's an each call. By that I mean, Jesus makes two connected calls here. The first one is an all call, it's to everyone. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew's good news always reports Jesus talking in terms of the kingdom of the heavens. It's kind of synonymous to the kingdom of God, but Matthew always says the kingdom of heavens, and it's important to us to remember that Jesus is not talking about the heavens as some far-off place, but it is exactly here, and it is exactly now God's presence is around us, God's presence is at hand, God's presence is tangible, so the, the, the all call is to reach out and participate, to touch God's reign and rule in our time and place. And this is for everyone. And it's going to re- require some sort of course change for anyone. Because our default is not towards this kingdom that comes outside of us. Our default is towards all the other kingdoms in our midst. Some of which are very reasonable kingdoms. Jesus flat out rejected these kingdoms in the wilderness. This goes back to Stephanie's text from Philippians 2 that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped at or exploited or grabbed onto. Jesus flat out rejected many of these bad things, but also many of these good things because they weren't God's great kingdom. So. Jesus calls all of us towards the kingdom of God instead of these these small kingdoms that press on us and justify themselves to us each moment. So Jesus' two-part remedy to these these choices that he had made, these temptations and tests, were always his two-part remedy was always God's word and God's spirit. If you're being tested or if you want to uh, move further towards having your mind changed and your heart changed and being transformed by the renewing of your mind, believing the good news, this is what makes it possible, God's Word and God's Spirit. That means that means get in God's Word, hide God's Word uh, in your heart and in your mind, in your subconscious. We were talking uh, when we were walking through and praying, many of these songs, especially the scripture song Like the Psalm 27, uh, like hide in you in a way that that you're not even aware of at the time, and then they come up later. Uh, The example Katie gave was how she can remember Britney Spears' lyrics that she didn't even know that she knew, uh, and not the things that she wishes she knew. Uh, And so uh, things like singing and things like scripture study and things like memorizing uh, really help with this, hiding God's word away so it'll be there when you need it it'll be the thing that you bleed when you're cut right this and jesus shows us this and god's spirit is this intangible thing outside of us but something that we work with uh in order to receive new life we we don't we don't generate our new life we don't give ourselves cpr but god's spirit renews us and makes our hearts of stone hearts of flesh that can respond to god so that's the all call because Jesus' each call is also pretty interesting. It's almost as if this calling of these fishermen is Jesus' first parable. Do we know what a parable is? What's a parable? No one knows what a parable is. It's a story. Yeah. What kind of story? Like a fairy tale story, bedtime story. It's a teaching story. It's allegorical. Yeah. It's a story meant to draw you in, to force participation, and to make your mind work in a way that is a little less black and white and a little more uh, flesh and blood, right? So if you know what a parable is, it's, it, it, often on the surface there are like these really folksy stories, but they're really deep, and it's almost like performance art, right? Jesus is improvising is the, the feeling I get. It's it's a little hard because all these parables in the Gospels are so well known and they're so like elevated as scripture, and they are, um, that I think we lose how like organic and improvisational they are, that it seems like Jesus is kind of walking around picking up things and using them as props to tell about the kingdom of God. And I don't think this is disingenuous, I think this, this is a signal to us that God's Again, God's kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, is around us and is tangible. You can reach out and touch it. It's at arm's length. So Jesus reaches at arm's length in this crowd and he says, oh, you guys like mustard seeds and yeast? We can work with that. I can use those. Your community is really tuned in to sheep and servants? Okay, sure thing. Weddings are a big deal to you? Bingo. I think there's a metaphor in that oh, you guys have a well-known scapegoat that, that you like to look down on? Congratulations, you have a new protagonist. The Samaritan, we'll call him good, right? And Jesus, I, I'd wonder what he would do in here. There would be like churro uh, parables for Lakewood, right? But Jesus is so adept at this. He, he pays such good attention. He's so creative in his ability to look around and to stitch these surprising details and ingredients into his work and his message, so he encounters Simon, who later becomes Peter, and Peter has kind of a, if we remember, a checkered record around the water, right? Um, that's a little spoiler alert for later. And Andrew, and he, he I love this. The scripture we read says they um, they were out fishing because they were fishermen, right? Thank you. <laughs> um, but he sees them and he calls them and he calls them to a very like specific each call that I think is, is, is more particular than our all call of repent and believe the good news they have been fishers of well fish and they will become fishers of human beings, of persons of men, of women he is spinning who they are already into who they will become and how they will participate in God's kingdom. He says, you are fishers, and I will make you a certain different kind of fisher. He is taking something ordinary that they are and know and is drafting it into something new, something extraordinary. And I I don't mean out of the ordinary, I mean like extraordinary, right? Something that is so much more ordinary than the ordinary thing that they already knew. Here's a subtle thing that is happening here, and we we might miss it too. That the whole fishers of people isn't just Jesus like being kind of campy and weird and corny. Uh, I think he does that sometimes, but there are always layers to it, right? Um, I'm really challenged and inspired to continue to develop my own dad jokes that would have this sort of depth and layering, right? You see, there's already a deep prophetic tradition of fishing for people. This is already a thing that directly supports the broad message of repent and believe. So this each message is inside of this all message, right? You see the fish hook pops up periodically in prophetic announcements as a symbol and as a tool of judgment. And I was looking for an image for this and I remembered um, this, this uh, piece. It's at the North Carolina Museum of Art. It's in their permanent collection of a contemporary artist from Cuba um, named uh, Johan Capote, I think it's Capote. Um, and, and he has a series um, called Palangre, uh, which is uh, Spanish for a trawl line like that you would drag behind a boat and catch all these fish. And so this image that looks almost like a Turner painting of the sea. If you get up close to it, everything that is dark in that are fish hooks. And it is like a snaggle that I would not bring my kids too close to because they would probably take it off the wall with their sweater, right? Like it, and it, this is huge, too. There are thousands of fish hooks. On this, and and the subtitle for this is the Promised Land, uh, uh, Isla, the Promised Land. Um, but Exhibit A of these f- of this fishhook trope in the Old Testament is from Jeremiah 16. We can see how this works, and this is this is what's happening that Jesus is calling back to in the simple phrase, "I will make you fishers of people." He says. But I'll now, the prophet says, I'll now send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. After that, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices of the rocks. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. I will repay them double for their wickedness and their sin, because they have defiled my land, the lifeless forms of their vile images, and have filled my inheritance with their defestable idols. Again, following small K kingdoms instead of God's big K proper kingdom. Exhibit B comes from Amos. The prophet says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. He's calling uh, these luxuri- luxuriating women cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. (laughs) 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 Hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you'll be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. It's like Showtime at the Apollo for luxuriating unjust people, right? And heck, Exhibit C, I, I didn't put it up there, but Exhibit C is the whole book of Jonah um, where Jonah is called by God and sent to Nineveh. Again, this the most wicked place that Jonah could imagine, the place that he hated. And, and he was Jonah was to participate in Nineveh's repentance, to hold out God's mercy to Nineveh. And Jonah hated that because Jonah was so self-righteous that he wanted Nineveh to burn and not turn. And then God brought them to repentance, even as Jonah was an unfaithful prophet in in his unwillingness to go there, so much so that God had to swallow him up and transport him via fish. right? Uh, My Old Testament professor, Ellen Davis, uh, reminds us um, why this was so hard for Jonah to stomach this this whole episode. She says, to add insult to very substantial injury, i.e. being swallowed, the Ninevites prospered, (laughs) and for an excruciatingly long time, three centuries or more, they fared too well for any savvy Israelite not to wonder about the very justice of God. The long-standing dominance of the Assyrian empire was, from an Israelite perspective, something that God might well be expected to answer for, and the hapless prophet Jonah is the guy who takes that job upon himself. Um, So we see This back and forth from Jonah as to whether he could or would join in God's mission as like an architect of compassion. And in Jonah, we see that when we're reticent to come and follow or disobedient in our call, sometimes we get swallowed up by the very thing we're hoping to avoid or to master. If this call towards judgment, this call towards repentance like makes you nervous, that's good, that's a good instinct. It probably should. Judgment and repentance are not really things that we should be in the business of generating, but only joining in, kind of owning for ourselves sometimes, because we've been the unjust ones. We have turned towards Christ in this call, and we can join him in justice-making, because we've been the stiff-necked people, the unrepentant ones in exile, and we might be restored in calling others to restoration, too. So we learn from Jonah. We've resisted, and we've eventually given in to grace. And uh, one of my favorite writers, Flannery O'Connor, talks about why we resist grace. And she says, all human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us, and change is painful. (laughs) We We want change, but we don't want change. That grace is all the more real and all the more powerful and all the more transformative when it works through our lives and comes across our lips we become Jesus's put right people joining God in putting this world to right setting it up aright maybe that's what makes this call so extraordinary or so extraordinary it's not that it takes us out of our ordinary not that it, like, pumps us up with excitement and gives us some new vocation we already don't have or know how to begin to do. In that, it is, it is again, extraordinary. Jesus' call crawls inside of what we already are and are doing and who we're becoming to call us to and to create new vocations towards intimacy and towards humanity. I think that's the special thing about them be- being fishers of fish. It's almost like a purposely wrought sentence to say, you're fishers of fish, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Of course you're fishers of fish. What else do you fishers? F- I fish for boots, right? Or like things sunk in the river. They're fishing for fish, and now they're made fishers of men because they are turned upside down and inside out, outward towards people. Their, their whole Reason for being, their whole calling and purpose is now for people. It once was, you know, to make a good and honest living. Now it is for people. Connect the message that has brought you into God's family, that message of repentance and justice making, and make that your mission right where you are. That's the extraordinary calling. It's following the call to Simon Peter and Andrew, the brothers Zebedee, the sons of thunder, James and John, they also join in. We can see that calling is already starting to work, right? They become fishers of men, and then they move on and make more fishermen into fishers of men. Jesus's ragtag group of disciples then starts to grow in the next several chapters of the gospel. And the call goes out to each of these guys each in their own particular place in their own particular job in their own particular gift and skill set and even in their own particular like foibles and short sides right like like we imagine Matthew whose name is also Levi the tax collector he was once someone who worked for caesar in his own self-interest. Like, tax collectors had, like, a government job, but they were also just so shady. Like, they would just take, 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 and they were on the take, literally. Like, made men, right? So he was once someone who worked for Caesar in his own self-interest. Now he was working in the interest of the least, the lost, the littlest, and the closest to death. He was part of Jesus' crew. He was Jesus' disciple. He was Jesus' sent one, an apostle, in this world. Rather than decimating those under the empire's thumb, which is what tax collectors did, he was now with Jesus declaring Jubilee. Remember the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, to declare the year of the Lord's good favor, Jubilee, release of debts, freedom from this crushing economy. He was helping former cheats who he had a lot in common with. That's the problem with Jesus' calling is he gets some really shady people and really shady people have really shady friends. And, and he says, go and, and bring them into this kingdom too. So he was helping a cheat that he had a lot in common with like Zacchaeus, do you remember that story? He was helping Zacchaeus to start working through reparations. That was, that was Zacchaeus' answer. It's not, I, I gotta give all this stuff back. I gotta repair the wrongs that I've wrought. And he was, he was doing this not as a denial of grace, but as an outpouring of grace. It's a crazy thing. Their new life is giving all of their old life away and all of the, the hurts they've caused away. And that, that's, that's not crushing to them, but that's actually freeing to them. This work was not disconnected from who Levi was or had been. It was an extraordinary call into working with Jesus for people. So I wonder, I wonder how Jesus is calling you and I. How Jesus is turning your life upside down and inside out for and towards others. Like if you're a student for a time, some of us for an extended period of time, an ever extending period of time, most most of your life right now is probably concerned with doing your work getting your grades and making sure your professor notices you so they can write something nice about you so you can become more of a student, right? But how might Jesus be calling you to be turned inside out towards others and for others? This gets a little tricky if you're a parent um, who is admittedly already turned inside out towards those others inside your household. But how might Jesus still be trying to expand your vision and your bandwidth towards others? If you are primarily a neighbor, like that's, that's what you are doing, that is what you're committed to, or maybe that's just what you are and, and you don't think about it at all. How are you continuing to be renewed in your very specific call to be present for and towards those who are already around you, witnessing a God's kingdom and Christ's presence on your block or in your building? Or if you work, like many of us, like a regular not-so-exciting job, one that you wouldn't directly connect to a call or ministry, just paying the bills. You're not that deep into it. Um but how might you still turn this inside out and be met by Jesus in this call for the sake of others, for this upside-down kingdom? How might your day-to-day work, the networks that you keep, and the skills you already possess be instruments for repentance and justice and renewal? In all these things, the answer to the call is not necessarily, sometimes it is, but it's not necessarily out. It's not, necessarily beyond ordinary it's extraordinary it's right here God has given us everything we need to respond to this call sometimes we can only answer by at once staying put and doing what we're already doing but also dropping everything to come and follow Jesus and be transformed that, that you can follow Jesus where you already are and Jesus, one of, one of the, the main things Jesus is on about, one of the main things that, that, that we, we get Jesus' uh, reports of his ministry, this good news, this breaking into the kingdom, this healing those who are sick and demon-possessed, and this uh, releasing those who are captive, Jesus is showing us how to be most truly human, like extra-human, Right? Jesus is the most human one and calls us to join him in this, like, maximum humanity, to become the sort of people who respond to Jesus, that our lives inside of Jesus' life might, like the table that we're about to gather around, be taken by God and blessed, made sacred, and broken open and turned inside out and given for the sake of others for the sake of this world will you all pray with me lord jesus we thank you for the extraordinary calls in our lives some of which we just completely miss or some of which we um Uh, put off or uh, feel are too hard or too conflicting with uh, who we are or who we've been. Thanks for always calling us. Thanks for the all call to repent, to turn around from going the wrong way, and and to to meet you who stand uh, like the father of the prodigal son with open arms ready to embrace us. Uh, Turn us around. Help us come to ourselves and come back to you. And, and Lord, put us to work. Probably doing the work that we're already doing. Turn us inside out. That we might not be just for ourselves or just for our families or just for our friends or just who, just for those who uh, look like us or act like us or like the same things we like, but turn us inside out for the sake of others that we might become fishers and teachers and uh, business men and women and students uh, of people and for people. Thanks for this place. That is an amazing uh, laboratory for all of of this calling, uh, for us to work out with fear and trembling uh, these extraordinary things that you'll have us do. Thanks for your word and your spirit. Uh, that guides us and equips us and gives us everything we need where we are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.